HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash speakeasy. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a, a source of excitement or like an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, well, come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3 to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sound in the air. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. My name is Greg Benson. I'm flying solo today. Uh, Damon and Souther are off uh, doing a few other things. So it is just me alone in my virtual studio here in Bushwick, Brooklyn on another beautiful sunny day in June. Although I'm not 100% alone because I'm being joined in his virtual studio by Ivan Saldana, who is the co-founder and master distiller of Abasolo Artisanal Corn Whiskey. Welcome, Ivan. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, very exciting to be able to to be virtually there with you and with your audience. Absolutely, man. Well, we're we're excited to have you. It's one of the um, we're we were talking about this with our last guest about how it's in a way uh, not fortunate. Nothing about what's going on right now is is fortunate, but it is uh, making the burden easier that we live in such a digital age that. You know, we were formerly limited to, well, hey, if you're in Brooklyn at this day, at this time, and you like pizza and beer and talking, uh, why don't you come on our radio show? But now we can pipe in literally anybody from anywhere around the world, as long as they happen to be awake at whatever, you know, 2 p.m. local time is for in New York is for them. So where where is your virtual studio? Where are you joining us from, Yvonne? Well, today uh, I'm actually in the lab uh, in Mexico City, where we do a lot of things. Uh, we explore a lot of uh, products 
Uh, we take care of some of the brands we have created. And, and we are little by little starting to work here. Uh, we, we, of course, we keep distance. The samples are prepared some time in advance, but today I had to come here, which for me is a, is a big pleasure to have the chance of, of, of coming. Sometimes I come totally alone. Sometimes we allow one or two more people, but it's, it's a fun day. It's a chance to go out of home and come to the lab and, and, and do some fun, some fun work. So today I'm here, fortunately. Absolutely, man. I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a while that, you know, taking a 30 minute walk to go to the bar that's selling beers and shots and then walking back feels like Bonnaroo these days, you know, anytime that you're <laughs> able to get out of your house and do something that's, you know, that's, that's fun and isn't your apartment is a real treat. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I also uh, agree with you that the boundaries of how to be con uh, connected or together has ample at the same time it has been restricted through this COVID. So that's interesting. I have learned more about technology than in the last five years, like at least this multimedia way of connecting. But for sure, uh, to have the sunlight in your head and, and now that the weather has changed, that the winter is gone, actually, even the entire spring is almost gone. But it's, it's always fantastic to have that opportunity. And I feel very blessed that my job is allowing me to do this safely. So th that's really cool. Absolutely, man. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that job. So you are uh, the master distiller for Abasolo Artisanal Corn Whiskey, which is a lot of, of different words that people aren't used to seeing in that particular order to describe a spirit. So talk to us a, a little bit about what that is. Yes, uh, yes, it can be a little bit confusing for sure. So basically, uh, I mean, I've been in, in this business of, of uh, developing, producing spirits and selling the spirits for quite a few years already. Uh, and well, after a mezcal we made before, uh, chile liqueur we made before, it got very clear for me and my partners that our call in this life was about bringing the heritage that Mexico can offer to the world in terms of its biological, cultural, and sensorial uh, background. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's been very exciting. We've been studying corn. I mean, after chilies and agaves, what's next? What was impossible to ignore corn, of course. And, uh, and I've been in this quest of uh, discovering what corn can become, Mexican corn, in the last almost six years. And we finally launched just uh, a month ago the first expression of what we expect is going to be a brand that will offer a lot of wonderful things. Uh, the, but the first expression was, was launched just uh, a month and a half ago. That's fantastic. And what's the, uh, what's the reception been like? It's been interesting because, I mean, if you imagine, I mean, the entire world is in love with world whiskey. I mean, now... People want to try what's happening in, in Australia. What about this new whiskey from India? Oh, the Japanese whiskey in such hype. What's going on? So we are arriving already in a trend of uh, interest in the different expressions that whiskey may have around the world. But, uh, but in our case, I feel that differently from, from many of those expressions you find in the world, our core is slightly more different than most of other whiskeys. I mean, if you... Thinking these whiskeys, they tend to be either 
similar to Scotch, to Irish, or to American whiskey. And in our case, because the, the uniqueness of the corn and the techniques we use uh, uh, before we transform this corn into whiskey that are applied, we really came with a flavor that is very different. So the reactions, with all honesty, have been uh, of two types. One is the, the, the person who is already expecting the typical whiskey that is a lot about the barrel uh, and not so much about the spirit from where the, the whiskey was made from. Sometimes they, they get like, like uh, kind of out of balance. And then you have this other drinker, many times our tenders, I have to say, or or whiskey drinkers that are more sophisticated that got more interested sometimes in, in also in the grains that, that really find it uh, fascinating and, and, and are appreciating the differences that this whiskey brings against most of any other whiskeys that are out there already. Well, yeah. And this is, you know, it, it, reading about what you're doing and and sort of the process of creating this and reminded of this old axiom that if you want to create something new you have to look back you have to look back in time and this isn't uh, a process that you guys just kind of you know invented out of thin air this is actually based on a pretty um ancestral ancestral mexican beverage right that's right that's right look the, the first thing to say is corn whiskey was something created by the the, the, the people that arrived from Ireland and uh, Scotland into the U.S. long time ago, they were in the East Coast and they started to move to the, to the West and they found the Appalaches and, and they discovered this wonderful grain and they start to apply all this heritage they had uh, uh, in their families. And, and really corn whiskey, as you already know, is the base of all the American whiskeys, like a whiskey that is mainly made with, with corn. But that we, we absolutely honor and recognize. I mean, that's, that's uh, uh, the, the, the first people to make whiskey out of corn were these, these uh, immigrants that came from Europe into the U.S. And, and that's where all the story of using corn into whiskey started. However, Mexico has another story to tell. And, and, and in a moment in which it's allowed to, in this new global uh, conception of things, to steal from here and there and to and to bring something new to the table, uh, well, we is where we are working. No? So so corn corn appeared in this world ten thousand years ago. It wasn't a a, a a human a bio biocultural product of humans uh, domesticating teosintle, a very ancient a very ancient uh, uh, cereal that looks like more actually to wheat than to corn. It, it has uh, like tiny little seeds all attached together. But that thing was taken and then was domesticated little by little until corn was finally created. And that corn evolved into multiple different races. Most of them are still alive, some in danger, sadly in Mexico, because some of them are not very popular commercially. But, but multiple families and around 30, between 35 and 40, there's discussions between biologists original races that emerged in Mexico. And, and was really Mexico and Mesoamerica, but the center of Mexico, uh, what it, today is Mexico, where, where that corn appeared. Uh, what is understood is that corn evolved in the highlands 
And then they took it down and got adapted to every imaginable climate, from the tropical forests in Yucatan to uh, the dry conditions also in the Pacific Ocean that is a little, a little bit drier. And, and that also is recognized that there were commerce between Mexico and South America that eventually brought those corn grains. And well, now you have other varieties uh, in, in Peru and Ecuador and all these other parts, including Central America. So corn is a biocultural product. And there's a lot of richness in Mexico. And what is beautiful about these different races is that they were not designed for yield. Most of them were designed for flavor. So people have grow and grow this corn again and again for hundreds of generations, uh, looking to keep this cultural, traditional flavor they expect to have when they eat this corn. And well, there's multiple fun and extraordinary versions of that corn. The one of a solo choose was the cacahuacintle. A little bit complicated to pronounce, maybe. But the, it, the name comes from cacao. It's a corn that grows only above 2,000 meters above sea level that are very, has very thick and big corn grains. Uh, it's typically white, but there's some uh, mutants that can be also blue, for example, and, and red. But the, the typical cacahuacintle will be white. Hmm. Is it is it named after cacao because it has that sort of white appearance, or is it is there something that's almost kind of like rich and chocolatey and earthy about the flavor? No, it's not flavor related. I mean, if you I don't know if you have seen the fruit of cacao. It's like a a a, a, a thick fruit that you can cut in the half, and when you open it, you will see all these grains of cacao that are really thick and big uh, uh, all around the center. So. It's more about the appearance of the, of the cob and the grain. I mean, cacahuacintle is typically a shorter cob. It's not as long as others. It's, it's more like shorter, but with fewer number of grains, but each grain is thicker. It, it also resembles a little bit the choclo from Peru. Also, huh. also a corn that grows in high altitude in, in, in Peru. This corn tends to grow above 3,000 meters. You have to consider that the latitude, the, the, the closer you get to the poles, the farther you are from the equator, well, you can have a, 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 a similar corn growing at lower altitude. While in the equator, you have to be at 3,000 meters for this type of, this family of corns, because they are, for sure, they are genetically connected, the choclo and the cacahuacintle. In Mexico, just being above 2,000 uh, meters, you can already grow this type of corn. But it's delicious. This is the interesting thing. This is one of the most coveted corns we have in the culinary world in Mexico. People use it for making pozole. It's a typical soup dish that has big grains of corn that opens like flowers. When you cook it, they expand and they do a... I mean, I don't know if you have tried pozole. Maybe some of the people... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I don't know if you remember these weird white corn things that opens like flowers. Well, that's cacahuacintle. And that's exactly the corn we are using for making abasolo. Yeah, I like, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of pasole for um, anyone who's never had it. First of all, try it. You're missing out. Second of all, yeah, the, the corn you're talking about, it almost, it looks like if you were just to look at it, like 
a really big chunk of movie theater popcorn. Like if you were to find this in like, you know, your bag at, at, you know, the movies, whatever, you'd be like, Oh, jackpot. But it's almost, (laughs) it's got a nice, a nice chewiness to it. It seems like there's a lot of um, starches and sugars in there, which you could definitely use to make uh, say whiskey, for example. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, let me tell you a little bit of that. So there's some varieties of corns that are more generous. I mean, you have different compositions in grains, huh? After studying, we study around 15 different uh, ancestral corns before we choose to go for cacao sinclair. And, uh, and the, the thing is that many corns may be very high in fat. For example, think on the American yellow corn, the traditional corn that is used for bourbon. That corn has been hybridized and designed to produce lots of fat because it's also used for making corn oil. Lots of sugars. That sugar can be transformed in high fructose syrup or is fed to, to pigs, to cattle, etc. Well, uh, that's a machine of fabricating a lot of different molecules. Differently from that, our corn is much less rich in fat, is richer in, um, in starches, but most importantly, and protein also has lots more protein than the yellow corn. But most importantly, it has extraordinary flavor. Flavor is a very complex place because it's not only the core, uh, let's say, macronutrients that are into a grain, but it's many other things that are there that may react when you go through a culinary process to bring you an experience. So Cancahuasitle of today has been selected much more about how much flavor you get. People pay extra price for that that how many kilos you get per hectare or per acre uh, translated into the areas you use in the U.S. So, <laughs> so it's really a very special corn, uh, typically used when it's fresh and tender for esquites. Uh, esquites is basically you get the corn before it gets hard, and then you cook it, and, you, and then you make it. In, in, in every little town in Mexico, there will be a man either selling the corn uh, roasted or boiled or already prepared with a pasote, already the grains by itself, and they put mayonnaise, lime, chili, salt, and, la- and then you are ready to go. And, and the most uh, popular corn, the most coveted one, is this cacao simple. You know, it's funny. We, I, I don't think we've done an episode in our remote studios for the past, you know, I'm pretty sure it's two months. It could be three years. I'm not sure what is time anymore. But like every time um, we uh, have one of these shows, I feel like at a certain point we have to comment on the fact like, oh, thank God we live in a global age where we can bring people in. But hearing about this history of corn and where it came from and how essentially it's this crop that we as human beings created and then spread to every corner of the globe, you know, corn really is... It's the it's the original global <laughs> crap, you know. It was the it was the thing that you know started in one spot and then spread everywhere. Like it's always been a global place, you know. Look, I think there's a lot of, of raw materials that have spread around the world, and and for sure, corn is one of the most versatile and adaptable of all. I mean, people just like tomatoes that also came from Mesoamerica or potatoes that came from South America got incorporated. Corn has got incorporated in a lot of places. Um, in the last 100 years around that, that 
Uh, modern agriculture uh, started after Mendel discovered the basis of genetics, and then the Industrial Revolution came. Well, that Industrial Revolution was reflected in the world of uh, the agronomy, in the world of, of food. And the idea of quality as the ability to repeat again and again the same thing came, and, and people start to design machines to harvest bigger amounts, and, and uh, uh, there were entomologists studying how to kill the flies and the insects attacking. We have developed an agriculture that forgot about flavor. That, that's the truth. Everybody is about the yield, and particularly with corn, with very few countries, most of all use it not as a food itself, but to transform it in something else. As I say, it could be oil, could be high fructose syrup, could be meat, but it's rarely really used as a, a food ingredient. And that's what's really special about Mexican corn. I mean, even the cosmology, when you read how the, the Mayas uh, describe the origin of the world, instead of being built using a mod, like, for example, the Greeks will describe the creation of, of the human, they were explaining how the goddess took this massa of corn and built a human. So corn is in the center of the cosmologic and sensorial and, and traditional soul of what Mesoamerica and Mexico is. And that's why I think it's, it's been an honor and a challenge, and it's very exciting to finally try to bring a whiskey that is really about that flavor of corn. If you want enormous amount of wood, or you want a lot of extraordinary things that many whiskeys can bring and are already known, go and look for that. But what, if, if what you're looking for is to discover a new flavor, a new experience, then I invite you to try a glass of, of Abasolo, because it's a mixture between, it's clearly an aged product, but it, it, it brings to you a lot of a white spirit as well, because it's a the elements, for example, the vegetal notes of corn, uh, this is, is sometimes hard to describe. You have tried pozole, you have tried esquites possibly, but it's that fresh corn uh, that can really come through through, the, through this, this uh, product. And, and it's really cool. We are working with families that has maintained this traditional crop, the, the cacahuacintle corn, grown at the valley next to the... Nevado de Toluca, that is an old volcano, a volcano that is not active anymore, uh, in around 2,400 meters above sea level. That's where all the corn for Abasolo is grown. We have a direct relationship with the families. So it's a really beautiful uh, uh, round process where we are bringing the value of recognition, the price, the, the fair price to all these extraordinary things to the family who has kept them for generations. Well, that's amazing, man. And I mean, it's one of the one of the joys of getting to do this show is I get to talk to so many people like yourself who are fighting this tide of you know maximize you know farmland, maximize yield, maximize you know uh, profit, and are saying that's not right. You know, we need to pay attention to the flavor and how these things taste and how they're being used and make sure that the people who know how to make it the right way are being treated fairly so they can keep producing stuff that tastes good and isn't just, you know, calories farmed for, for maximum profit. Um, 
Absolutely, because I think taking flavor out of our culture is dehumanizing the act of feeding. I mean, for many years, we have lived in this idea that nutrition is about adding calories and the experience of eating is enormously important. It's, I mean, just like a lot of people have said that uh, 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 just a born kid cannot survive if it's not loved, it's a very abstract ingredient in nourishing a, a, a kid, but, but you need love in order to make a healthy human being. Well, I also believe you need flavors to, to have a healthy human being. And a lot of companies have been created just at the same time the industrialization of agriculture emerged 100 and 150 years ago, kind of. The big winners has been the flavorist houses. These houses that can create whatever flavor you want, that you just have to add it. But you can add it in your hamburger, you can add it in your fries, you can add it in your tacos, if everything is industrialized. But I really think it's a moment, and I think this COVID moment has been a great opportunity for people who are learning to cook in their house, that there's something special and nurture, like literally nourishing, maybe abstract, maybe not easy to explain, in something like flavorings. And, uh, and I believe that spirits is in a moment right now where people want to come back to the origin. People want to have experiences. People want to benefit people that deserve to receive their money because they are really the guardians of things that are greater that only molecules of ethanol with some sort of flavor. And, and I am absolutely passionate and committed to this type of business. And so this whiskey is about that. It's a 100% corn whiskey. I will explain you how is that, how is that we make that. But I mean, I think up to now, I, I, I've been able to express the, 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 the core philosophical reason to exist of the Abba Solo brand. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's, like you said, it really is a, a a moment where people are starting to realize that, you know, you can put something into your body that's more than just fuel. And I think that, you know, you could you could soothe a lot of ills um, by getting people to comprehend that more, to think a little bit more about, uh, you know, if, if people are cognizant of what it is that they're eating and drinking, and if they think about it, and if they interact with it, they might make, you know, better choices for, for themselves and for their bodies. Um, we're also right at about the halfway point here at this episode. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back and keep talking with Ivan Saldana of Abasolo Corn Whiskey. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. 
You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash speakeasy. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Greg Benson, and today we're talking with Ivan Saldana, who is currently the uh, co-founder and master distiller of Abasolo Artisanal Corn Whiskey. Um, but you've this is not uh, your first rodeo in the world of distilled spirits. You've you've messed around with a couple other uh, fun ingredients from from your hometown of Guadalajara. Is that right? Absolutely yes, yes. I'm, I'm being very uh, lucky first to be Mexican and, and 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 second to finish in this beautiful business that is about taking cool raw materials and taking their souls out and transforming it to spirit. So, so I can give you a brief. How is that me? ended making a whiskey in Mexico. Well, I am from Guadalajara. Uh, I grew up having relatively close uh, industry of agave. My father got deeply into the very early moments of what uh, agave nectar uh, was. That was the first name. He has a company called the Colibri Company. And the nectar was really an idea that company had because the company was the Colibri Company. And they were one of the, the first ones to offer um, uh, agave nectar, agave uh, fructose to the world. Uh, I was a teenager at that time, and I was already fascinated with nature. So I spent a lot of my high school times and a little bit longer than that, uh, giving my time for free to Peace Corps, conservation corps in different reserves in the U.S., in, in the Amazon, in Mexico. So my deal was who pays my ticket plane and I just go and I just spent my three months doing whatever, building a basketball, a basketball place, so a, a poor town can play basketball, or uh, tagging birds or anything. And, and got very clear that my call was biology. So I did biology. Um, I always like to travel. So I started in Mexico, but then I went to Chile, and at the end, I finished my, my, my bachelor in Montreal. And, and just after that, plants that I always consider boring, I have to say, because things that move <laughs> tends to be more sexy, you know. But I got fascinated when I started to see that when something cannot move and is trapped in that precise square meter, then its biology, its biochemistry, its metabolism is much more sophisticated. Because as you cannot run and take care of yourself, then you will have just to cope with your miseries and your destiny as it is. So plants <laughs> became suddenly incredibly sexy to me because I started to, on, to discover, to learn, to research on the different ways and mechanisms they have to stay alive in, in so incredibly hard conditions they can have. So my next fascination was plant and stress, plants in, in, in harsh conditions. And that's when I suddenly reconnected with my past. I got a scholarship to go to England to do a PhD to a very, at that time, very uh, uh, reputable research unit that was studying how plants can cope with these harsh situations. Uh, when I arrived, I got super disappointed. They had the most boring projects around. And suddenly <laughs> I discovered agave. 
I discovered I came from a place with a plant with 10 million years of evolution that is just about how a plant can survive in the middle of the desert. But being in the middle of the desert full of sugar and water, well, everybody wants to eat you. So that plant has to be interesting. Some interesting strategies should be there. So that's what I did. I dedicate my five years of PhD to agave plants. I learned a lot of the chemistry of the plant that allows the plants to be alive, to defend itself to predators. And, and I was at that time fascinated. But later on, after these five years of research, complicated, I had to move two tons of alive agaves into greenhouses in England. I mean, England is not the place to do a PhD in agaves, I promise you. I mean, I would not <laughs> recommend that to anybody else in, in the world. But I was already there. I finished my PhD. And then I really had to be honest with myself. I had this opportunity to, to go to Holland for a postdoc, but I wasn't that happy. I needed a human touch. I needed a more material reality. It was too much theory. I mean, yes, I was taking care of my plants as a gardener in my greenhouse, but I wanted something more concrete. And, and at that time, there had been a very big crisis in, in Jalisco with tequila, and companies started to look for me as I was one of the few that had a more deeper understanding of the biology of this plant. And I had the chance to get a job in one of the big ones, in one of the big spirits companies. Uh, I don't mind saying it, Pernod Ricard, but I learned a lot from them. I am so thankful but also helped me that experience to figure out that my goal in life was truly about taking the soul of raw materials into spirit. It was a, a fascinating experience. I learned to skill grapes. I learned to make wine. I learned to make tequila. I, I, I discovered that a lot of those molecules that have a, a biological role in plants actually brings flavor and taste. And, that you, and smell, and that you can trap them through processes of distillation and fermentation. So all of that was like, as I always say, it was my second PhD. I, I truly learned all this craft. I am not a person who believes too much in academia. I believe that anybody putting its passion and mind into something for a couple of years is a PhD in whatever field. So uh, let's say I never use my title. It's not my thing. But I have to recognize that the level of learning I had there was, of, was enormous. And then I had the chance to take the decision of saying, you know what, I want to leave this big company and I want to, to be by myself and try to make a mezcal. And that's when I met Daniel Moy, who did Milagro before. They had that experience. They are more, one is a great designer, the other one is a crazy business model creator. But we complemented ourselves really well, and that's how we started with Montelobos, then Ancho Reyes, and well, until we got really clear that the purpose of Casa Lumbre, that's the name of the company we have today, Casa Lumbre, the house of fire means, is to bring the essence of what we have culturally, biologically, and sensorially as a heritage in Mexico into spirit. So that's how uh, my career in a brief way of how a biologist became a professional drinker <laughs> and, <laughs> and drink maker. Um, and, and well, that, that's how it is. Well, that's, it's, it's so interesting to me in an age of like extreme specialization, especially like 
you know, in the world of like brewers, distillers, bartenders, where people like spend their whole lives being good at really one thing, you got a PhD working on agave. And now you, you realized after doing that, that your, you know, your next calling was to make a corn whiskey. It's almost kind of like, I feel like if a cardiologist was like, my real calling is to be a marine biologist. I'm going to study octopi for the rest of my life. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now with this with this um, this corn whiskey that uses a process that I have seen written down as a word. I'm going to take a stab at pronouncing it out loud right now. Nixtamalization. How did I do? Great, great. Yes, I nailed it. Nixtamalization. Very well said. Well, thank these- you. Nixtamal, uh, that is from where the nixtamalization comes, comes from corn become masa. Masa is basically the milled corn after this particular process I will describe. So nixtamalization implies cooking in an alkali solution, the corn. And this was discovered 4,000 years ago, and it's not irrelevant. It's fundamental for understanding the establishments of culture, civilizations, cities, and a, a lot of what happened in Mesoamerica in, in the past. And this is because this process brings enormous nutritional benefits to corn. So basically, you take the corn, you put it in water, you add lime, lime design, the same lime you use for construction, this white powder. You can also use ashes. So technically, any substance that will increase the pH or will make a medium more basic, and then you cook it. You cook it for some hours, you let it flow there for some time, and that will create uh, different physical and chemical changes in the corn. Number one, uh, the, the external layer that the corn has, a thin, like a thin skin that you will find in every uh, grain of corn will be dissolved by, by this liquid. Secondly, that water will enter and will gelatinize those that knows a little bit about whiskey, there's a process in which water gets in between the chains of starches of the grain, and that will create an alkali gelatinization, what, what will start to uh, reaccommodate the starches, so that change the rheology, the texture of it. That's important for the tortillas, the tamales, and all the different things that are made out of milk corn after nixtamalization. But most importantly, nixtamalization will create reactions between the uh, amino acids present in the grain and the sugars, as well as the integration of calcium and magnesium into those chains of starches, making that corn much more nutritious. Uh, And also uh, allowing, well, that if you base a great amount of your calories on eating this grain, you will get much more into your body than if you will cook in it as, as, uh, as non-nixtamalized corn. So that's what it creates. But it also changes flavor. Smells change dramatically because of the reactions of these sugars with, uh, with the amino acids. And, and, and that is where the signature typical smell of a good tortilla comes from, from this nixtamalization. So what we do is we nixtamalize most of the corn we use, then we roast it. We put it in a, a adapted huge coffee roasted that we have in the distillery, and we take away the water 
We create a grain that is slightly roasted, and from there we mill it and we make a flour. And that's the base from where our whiskey is going to be made. Uh, on another side, on a parallel path, we get some of the grains of cacahuacintle and we make them sprout. We basically um, put it in the dark with water and we will make them to, um, uh, to become a little tiny plant that a small leaf is, is developed, the first root is developed, and which in the whiskey world, that's called making malt. We malt corn. So both whiskey will use malted barley. Abasolo is about malted corn. And once that corn has reached that point uh, that, that uh, we have germinated the seeds, we take that corn and we mix it with the flour in the mashing in order to break down all those starches and makes us a sweet sap that is now fermentable. Up to now, everything okay, Greg? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I feel like I should be taking notes over here. This is fascinating yeah. <laughs> stuff. Cool. So what does I mean? I you know anyone who's who's done a little bit of a dive into Scotch whiskey knows what malting will kind of you know the general gist of the process and what it does for the flavor what does malting uh well first of all what percent of the whiskey is is malted corn and what does that do to the overall end flavor of the whiskey so in the world of whiskey the proportions of how much malt you will put or not will be really uh, dependent on the distillery but you normally you will require from eight percent to twenty percent as a minimum to, to make the effect, because the goal of malting is that those grains will produce enzymes that will help you to break down the starches. So that's why our kind of the typical proportions. We follow around uh, 8%, 8 to 10% could be, uh, we uh, um, uh, malt in the formula. Um, and, and, and basically, that's one of the reasons. But also malts, can be dried in different ways. So in the world of Scotch whiskey, when they use, uh, uh, you, got, you get these peaty malt grains, it's because they, they use, a, I, I, I'm, I'm losing the word right now, but basically they use a special uh, flammable thing they can get from the soil of certain regions in Scotland that will burn and that produce an extremely heavy smoke that will get impregnated in the malt. And that's why a lot of single malts are really pity. Here, we are, we are not really even drying, or malt is fresh malt. That's important to say. We immediately produce the malt, and that fresh malt is mixed with a, with a uh, nixamalized roasted grain. And we mash it, and the mash is then fermented, and then distilled. Everything in the fermentation and distillation is about maximizing the flavor of corn. We don't want, differently from, for example, a lot of the bourbon or American corn whiskeys that likes to use plates and columns and, and clean as much as they can their alcohol or, or they have processes where they use carbon filtration. And we are against all of this because we really want to trap everything. So first of all, we use a yeast that is a champagne yeast, a high that is really tolerant to a lot of sugars and alcohol. And then we just steal in a typical um, uh, copper steel pot 
uh, typical simple ones, and that's what we get as a white spirit. The most unrefined, direct expression of what the raw material can be. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's that. That's that's been. If 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 I if I may take a stab at saying what your life's work has been, like that seems like it's that's kind of your mantra is you know maximize the flavor, take the the spirit, the soul out of this thing, and say that you know corn doesn't just have to be bourbon. It just doesn't ha- doesn't just have to be you know high fructose corn syrup. It can have all of these flavors that unless you really know this plant and know this process and know the history, you would never even think to associate with, you know, good old corn. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an invitation, if this expression, a lot of people is asking, okay, this is Abasolo or Abasolo is two years old. So the aging is is not that much. Considering this is not bourbon, in bourbon, as you know, they use new charred uh, barrels. In our case, we use uh, used barrels uh, that are that instead of new. So, so well, we, we have a mixture: new toasted and used ex bourbon. But the the amount of wood you get in two years in a used barrel or in a toasted barrel is far away from what you get from a typical American straight whiskey, like a straight bourbon that uses a, a charred new barrel. And that's 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 we we are happy with that because. If we would be getting so much wood, then it would be really about the wood. And there's nothing wrong with the wood. I have tried delicious, wonderful bourbons, but these wanted to be different. This is not a Mexican bourbon. This is a 100% ancestral corn whiskey that wanted to taste as corn whiskey in Mexico should taste, as ancestral nixtamalized corn. That's, that's what Abasolo is. So these two years of aging will bring and complement the nuances that you will get from all these processes of taking the flavor out of this ancestral cacao simply. Well, I, I for one, have a, uh, a bottle in the mail that I'm eagerly awaiting to show up. I'm checking every day like, like Charlie Brown <laughs> running to the mailbox, so I'm really excited to try it. Um, if anybody else wanted to get in touch with you or get their hands on a bottle, how would they go about doing that? No, I mean, okay, right now, honestly, I'm not the, the best guy of knowing where the product is being sold, but I think Total Wine has it. I think it's already in specs. I mean, there's there's a few stores already in, the, in, the, in, the, in New York City. Uh, there's a couple of other, this very, very nice liquor store. I'm forgetting his name, but we are already kind of in, in, in a few places. Uh, but if, if you want to know uh, where to find it, please write us in our social media. We are always answering fast. Could be the Instagram or could be the, the, the Facebook, Twitter. We are, uh, or we are Ava Solo Whiskey. It's very easy to find us. And the team will really fast answer to, depending on where is your geography, if it is already available and in which uh, off-premise liquor store you can find it. When, and one more question, because on our last show, we had a, uh, a representative from Dead Rabbit Irish Whiskey. They're very passionate about including the E in their whiskey. What about you guys? Abasolo Irish Whiskey with an E or without? It's without. Um, we, we, we discuss it. I think the E is something really special and really Irish. Also, some of the American <laughs> whiskeys has taken. 
the E, and I think that is really clear. But but we feel Abasolo is a whiskey of the world. And when you try to refer to the universe as a, as a whole of whiskey, you typically refer to the category without the, the I. So, so we decided to call ourselves whiskey with the, without the E because we, we really feel we are bringing a different expression in the world, so we should be considered a whiskey and not a whiskey. Well, with a, with a, yeah, I don't know if there's a difference in pronunciation, but yeah. <laughs> Bro, it's the, it's the, it's a whisk of us for the rest of us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Yvonne, thank you so, so much for joining us today on the Speakeasy. It was awesome talking with you. I, as soon as this is done, I'm going to check my mailbox again to see if my Abyssola has arrived while we were talking. Hopefully, um, yeah. If not, you let us know so we can send you a bottle. A new oh, one. yes. Thank you, man. Um, in the meantime, that's it for us here today on the Speakeasy. Uh, check out heritageradionetwork.org for many more awesome programs just like this one. And in the meantime, we will catch you right back here next week. But in the meantime, cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil the rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you the Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.